you've had ME, CFS, fibromyalgia, POTS or related syndrome for a little while, then you've probably heard the name Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. It was my pleasure to catch up with Dr. Teitelbaum recently and we discussed his latest research, new treatments and his practical advice for people seeking recovery from the illness. Dr. Teitelbaum gets it. He gets what it's like to be chronically ill because he's been there. We discussed frustrations about access to affordable health care and the need for patients to be treated with respect and dignity. And I have to say, things got quite animated at times. I think it'll bring a smile to your face. We also talked about our common ground in our views about the pathogenesis of the illness and treatment approaches. Dr. Teitelbaum is a wealth of knowledge and I use this opportunity to ask a range of questions specific to people struggling to find any kind of sleep, about thyroid issues, flare-ups with ladies' monthly hormone cycles, orthostatic intolerance and some of the pitfalls when getting medical help. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. So try different things, start at low dose. Um, people with fibromyalgia tend to be what's called a cheap date. It doesn't take much to have the effect on us. Mm. So if you start with a massive dose, it's going to knock you on your bum. Don't do that. Start with a tiny dose. Let your body feel safe with it and move up slowly, see what's optimal, then add the next. What do I recommend? There are two simple tests you can do at home. They're free. Free is nice. And here you can barely get out of bed and the doctor implies, I don't know what's wrong with her, so she's crazy, you know? And you desperately, you almost, even if you had cancer, you'd be, you know, what a relief, I got cancer, I'm not crazy. And you get so desperate, to un understandably, to have some explanation. I didn't realize later when I spoke to him, he was in Taiwan visiting his mother, he's Taiwanese, and there's an herb that's a Taiwanese herb that stimulates the immune system in just the right way for enterovirus. Well, I think it goes both ways. I think that the energy crisis triggers that circuit breaker, the hypothalamic circuit breaker, to go down, causing fatigue, and then that circuit breaker going down actually protects you by taking you out of the game. That circuit breaker goes down, it goes ahead and that it controls autonomic function, the ANS function. Um, so that stops working. And when that stops working and your hormones stop working and your sleep stops working, then energy goes down and you've got a self-sustaining low energy cycle. Mm. So chicken or egg, I don't care. I think we have a fair bit of research showing the autonomic dysfunction in the CFS and fibro population. I don't think that's even a question. We're also starting to see data showing that the autonomic dysfunction is associated. Remember I mentioned the antibodies being low, the IgG1 and 3 subsets, that those tend to go with the autonomic dysfunction. Welcome to Wisdom from the Other Side, a podcast about recovery from fibromyalgia, ME, CFS, POTS, multiple chemical sensitivities and related syndromes. I am Dan Neufer, author of CFS Unraveled and the creator of the ANS Rewire Recovery Program. I've spoken with hundreds of people that have recovered from these illnesses 
as well as doctors, researchers, and many other healthcare specialists. And this podcast is here to share that knowledge, to inspire and support you, to empower you on your personal journey of recovery and to help you thrive. Just a short but important message regarding the content of this podcast. The ideas, concepts and opinions expressed in this recording, website and associated media and products are intended to be used for educational and information purposes only. Nothing presented is intended to replace your physician, nor are they a substitute for medical diagnosis, advice or treatment. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the authors, guests, speakers and publishers are not rendering medical advice of any kind. Welcome to Wisdom from the Other Side, Jacob. Don, it's great to be with you and with all of our viewers today. Uh, Bottom line, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia are very treatable. There's no lack of effective treatment, just a lack of effective physician education. So we're going to teach you what you need to know so you can start reclaiming your life. That's what it's all about. I'm just really happy to be here with you and the folks. Awesome. Awesome. Look, and isn't that the, the biggest myth and that we really experience is, um, and I think it's the most destructive myth is that we, we, we can't recover. We can't do anything about the illness because we don't have a single magic cure. <laughs> and, but the thing is, you know, I, I, is that really unique to see if there's in fibromyalgia? I mean, how many illnesses out there have this magic pill that fixes everything, right? Well, you have to understand how the American healthcare system at least works, and it, there's a lot of parallels that go around the world. Uh, basically, to be able to recommend the treatment for disease, it has to go through a FDA regulatory process, and these are very good people, but the way that it's set up, it costs over $2, million, $2 billion, hmm. $2 billion. Uh, according to some sources, to put it through the process, which means anything that is low cost, in other words, anything generic, and anything that's natural, anything not patentable, there is literally no way to put it through the regulatory system so it can be approved for an illness. Also, if you have a protocol, there's no way you can put that through. So a quirk in our regulatory system makes it that only very, very, very expensive things can legally be you can't even discuss the research safely you know there's um they get fussy sometimes mm-hmm. with that so today when i talk about things that i've researched i'm not going to be talking about that i've researched in four fibromyalgia because legally you can't do that i can say we've talked about things that were helpful for fatigue discomfort mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. even say pain you can say occasional discomfort it's just, and again, no bad people. It's just the way that our system works. And you see that for in illnesses across the board, not only CFS and fibro, but so understand that when they say there's no proof, that doesn't mean there's no solid, good, awesome research. It means there's no exceedingly, obscenely expensive medication that can go through the regulatory process so that they can claim proof. Understand the language. Well, because the whole thing about medicine is it's it's based on con consensus and uh, you know based on (laughs) (laughs) good well-meaning people but the system itself is really financially driven yeah yeah for sure and this is really a a problem because people with uh, chronic illnesses are often broke Um, but there's good news and there's bad news 
The bad news is a lot of treatments do take a lot of money and getting help from an integrative physician and or functional medicine doctor and getting a lot of medicines can be expensive, but there's so much we can do to help ourselves. And uh, and look, uh, today what I wanted to start doing is, is really start talking about the shunt protocol. And um, But perhaps before I do, I, I guess I just wanted to clarify for, for viewers, um, how long were you actually ill with the illness? And was it CFS and fibromyalgia or, or one of them? It was a mix of the two. Uh, I had a severe muscle tightness with that. Fortunately, the pain was not horrific. It was more just non-functional. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to drop out of medical school and it actually left me homeless sleeping in parks because I was paying my own way through. Um, so the it took me a year to recover enough to be able to return to medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I keep getting better and better. And if you asked me about 20 years ago, I would say that I was a 9 or 10 on a 0 to 10 scale with 10 being healthy. Mm. But now I realize I was only about a 6. Mm. And But I was just so happy to be able to be functional. Um, you know, I put myself at a 10 now. But as I keep learning new things, I find that gets higher and higher and better and better. It's interesting. This is a common theme I come across with people when they recover. Um, they often come out and say, okay, I'm fully recovered. I'm like uh, 100% well. And I speak to them six or 12 months later and they're like, okay, now I'm like 120% recovered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Now, we talked about uh, some of your ongoing research. Uh, I believe your, your latest research is into uh, porcine serum polypeptide nutritional supplement. Um, to treat cellular um, metabolic dysfunction. Uh, what do you call that? Mitochondrial dysfunction or basically energy production, right? Can you tell us, first of all, what is porcine serum polypeptide nutritional supplement? <laughs> it's basically a bunch well, of amino acids, isn't it? It is, but it's kind of, if you look at amino acids, that's like saying letters in the alphabet. <laughs> that's right. And I can give you Shakespeare's play with a, a bag of, you know, of 257,000 A's, 300,000 B's, C's, and put all the letters in a bag hmm. and say, here's the book. Yeah. You know, just put them all together. Or you can combine them into words and then those words into things. And so the language of protein nutrition, uh, there's a very powerful level that's going on where it's not just supplying letters that the body can break apart and then use for other things. You'll see many hormones are, and many neurotransmitters are mixes of amino acids or derivations of amino acids. Um, what we found, much our surprise, and there's been a enormous amount of research that's been exploding over the last uh, 10 years or so on using uh, combinations of two and three amino acids and what's called diatripeptide. It's chaining through two, three letters together there. Um, and what we found is that the effects were insanely beyond what you would expect from just taking an egg or the protein somehow. Mm-hmm. It's not a protein deficient. We're not protein deficient in this country. But like other uh, strings of proteins in the body, it had profound effects. Until recently, it was only available intravenously. So many doctors, and it was like a thousand bucks a pop, mm. you could get the thing. What's remarkable here is we're finding that the oral form, getting it by mouth, uh, has the same effect as what you require getting intravenous, and mm. that brings the cost down. Oh God, that's a tiny fraction of what it used to be. And so, how is this? So, where exactly does this come from? 
How's this created, produced? Well, you'll see a lot of the activity of an animal is in the serum. So we'll see many CFS proteins uh, and, and different immune factors uh, have been obtained from serum or from different parts of the animal's immune system, basically. Mm. Uh, this uses the, the porcine immune system. It mm. harvests different factors. And it was funny, in our initial study, uh, we actually looked at a subgroup of people who had low antibody levels. Their immune system, their, if you look at their military, and it did an inventory of Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. That's uh, like IgG 1, 2, 3, and 4 antibody. And we usually see 1 and 3 are low in fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, what we found is that the antibody levels in the treatment group, in those who got treated, went up 14%, which is quite dramatic. So, you know, we don't know the mechanism. Mm. We're starting to figure out bits and pieces of it. Uh, right. But we just know for some reason that this works. Mm. In in interesting. Um, so I guess that, that really falls under the, uh, the nutrition side of things in a way. It's a nutritional treatment, right? Yes. Um, but I wanted to, you know, one of, obviously the first step of the Shine Protocol is, is we talk about sleep. And I think most people can appreciate, yeah, you know, restorative sleep is, is important for, for health. And if you don't sleep, whether you have CFS or fibromyalgia, you, you're going to not feel so great, right? Yeah, and, um, and people with CFS and fibro, basically, you talk about getting good and they sleep and they just roll their eyes like that. No way that yeah. can happen. And, you know, I'll be lecturing 500 people at a time. I'll say, yes, you can. Yeah. You will be able to get eight hours of sleep. I'll show you how. And Fantastic. they go, yeah, right. And then three to six months later, it's like, my God. I'm sleeping and I'm feeling so much better. Yeah. Uh, look, it's quite interesting. I mean, uh, it's, it, it can be so varied uh, how interventions uh, seem to impact people in my experience. Some, some people respond really quickly. Some people, it's about finding the right uh, the, the right approach. Um, from my point of view, I mean, sleep is obviously important to recover your health uh, for the obvious reasons. Um, but also it has, you know, important implications for neuroplasticity, which is obviously where my focus lies. And so some people really struggle. And, and I guess I want to just explore, I mean, obviously it's a big topic and we can't go into it in full detail, but there's two questions. It's, I guess if we're looking at people who are really struggling to sleep using all the normal sleep hygiene and, and I would say also, let's say nutrition, okay, ensuring that they don't, have blood sugar bonking in the middle of the night and, and are stable. Um, what what do you think is one, the most effective sort of treatment that you've come across, uh, whether it be herbal or other treatment? And, and secondly, the same part of the question is, what do we do with the people who seem to be really, really insomniac? And occasionally I come across people who talk about not having slept at all, or they report this, um, for literally weeks, even months on end. And, and they say they've been giving, you know, horse medication <laughs> to put them to sleep and it just doesn't work. What do we do? So again, if you're looking at, there's a lot of different levels to treat at. So number one, um, herbals. There's a mix of six herbs uh, to that really help sleep called the revitalizing sleep formula. There's another one called terrific seas. I usually use a melatonin. I, I'm kind of picky with the melatonin. There's one you can get at Walmart or even on Amazon. It's made by Nature's Bounty. Mm. Now they'll make 12 different ones, but you want the Nature's Bounty dual spectrum five milligram. Find that one. That one people report back seems to work the best. Mm. Now again, these things are going to be 
a drop in the ocean or, you know, against a firefighter, against a forest fire. I mean, these are things to start with. They're not going to do it by themselves in this disease. Um, for those who can't afford hemp oil, uh, and a significant subset of people can be very helpful for sleep, but it's pricey. Uh, if anyone that's good, many of them out there are garbage. Uh, they seem to spend all their money on advertising and labels and nothing's in the bottle to speak of. Um, but I like one that's called Hemp Select. Uh, if you have a state where it's legal and you have dispensaries, the dispensary ones are usually pretty good. Um, you're looking for a dose of about 30 to 50 milligrams for sleep of the CBD or 250 milligrams, 150, 250, the whole hemp oil. These things give a good start. Um, an Epsom salt bath, two cups of Epsom salts in a tub of hot water, especially in wintertime, can really relax down the muscles, mm -hmm. give a half hour to cool off after the bath, but that can really help you drift into sleep. So natural things to start with. Medications, and again, the principle is if you use a high enough dose of any medication to get you sleeping all night, you'll be hungover till three the next day and feel miserable. Um, you need, you do, most people do better with a very low dose of several different things instead of a high dose of one. Mm -hmm. And I will combine even eight things at low dose if I need along with the natural things, whatever I need to get you sleeping eight hours. Because what happens is each of these medications is cleared out of the body on its own timetable. So if I give you enough to be out of the body my morning, the level is not going to be enough to keep you out all night. But if I combine two, three things, those levels together keep you out, and they're all out of your system by morning. They don't affect that you take all of them does not affect how long it takes anyone to be out of the system. So for initiating or falling asleep, because there's different parts. There's falling asleep and staying asleep. The medication Ambien is very, very helpful. Uh, again, the addictive issues, as long as you're staying under 12 and a half milligrams, you find to be minimal. Uh, but if you stop it suddenly after you've been on it for you, you won't sleep for 10 days. So you get rebound insomnia. So when it's time to stop it, stop it slowly. And yes, there's a small subset of people who will sleepwalk, sleep, do all kinds of strange things, eat, um, or go dancing naked in the street or even sleep. But these are really pretty rare. Mm -hmm. And the Ambien I find to be very helpful in this population. Mm -hmm. To stay asleep, Trazodone, 25 milligrams to 50, Flexerol, 2.5 to 5 milligrams, Gabapentin, 300 or 100 to 600. And again, you may try any one of these and go, oh my God, I hate how it feels. Okay, that shoe does not fit. That's okay. Don't wear it. Set it aside. Mm -hmm. um, but you didn't, the first pair of shoes you tried on didn't fit you. You had to do a couple and then you found, oh, this shoe, these shoes feel great. Excellent. So try different things. Start at low dose. Um, people with fibromyalgia tend to be what's called a cheap date. It doesn't take much to have the effect on us. Hmm. So if you start with a massive dose, it's going to knock you on your bum. Don't do that. Start with a tiny dose. Let your body feel safe with it and move up slowly. See what's optimal, then add the next. That's just uh, such wise uh, overarching advice. You know, uh, uh, people can be very sensitive and, and even things even to supplements, um, and I mean, I've even come across people who ended up with, with hepatitis um, from taking, you know, massive amounts. But I mean, this seems unlikely. I was quite surprised because I've never really heard of that before, but, you know, very, anything. Very rare, much safer than Tylenol. These medications are yeah. incredibly safer than Motrin, to put it in perspective. That's easy mm -hmm. to say because Motrin kills 50,000 Americans a year, that family of medications. You won't hear about that, but um, yeah. but here's the thing: there are some people who don't tolerate anything. 
by mouth. And in that group, I'm going to be looking for mold toxicities as one common thing for that chemical sensitivity overall thing. Um, but that's a little beyond, I think, this talk. Just heavy anxiety, sensitive to everything, look for mold toxins, hmm. separate thing. Um, but again, there are non-pill ways to get you sleeping. I guess the next question I would uh, like to ask is, is we talk about uh, hormones and uh, specifically uh, what I was interested in is many ladies will find that during the monthly cycle that they get flare-ups. Uh, I guess in my experience it seems to be mostly around when the menses start and Presumably, this has to do with the fact that the estrogen and progesterone is, is, is low at that time. Um, but the question I have is, you know, what do you think is the mechanisms that leads this to flare-up? I mean, obviously, that there is a connection here to the pituitary gland, which is what we're talking is the ANS, saying it's central. But it seems, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on how that works and why that happens. Well, let me context it a bit. What is CFS and fibromyalgia? What's happening? Basically, this represents an energy crisis where the body is not able to make enough energy. It can be happening because you don't have the nutrients to make it. It can be happening because you have so much stress or infections on the body that you're doing it. Or your body can be shutting down uh, energy production to try to starve out an infection. There's all kinds of things. But the bottom line is that when energy production drops, the area that uses the most energy for its size is this little almond-sized area called the hypothalamus. It acts like a circuit breaker because if, when energy goes down, that's the first area in the body that goes offline. It controls sleep, so you can't sleep. It controls hormones, mm. so the hormones across the board. It controls autonomic function, all on that circuit, and temperature regulation. So you look at the hormones, normally, the hypothalamus through the pituitary, the two are connected, regulates the hormones. So, you know, everything is moving properly, and when you need it, you have it. And even during uh, your menses, when the estrogen and progesterone levels plummet, and that's what causes the sloughing in the menses, that is still enough to keep you going because your own regulatory systems are keeping them working okay. Mm. Except in CFS and fibromyalgia, they're not. Mm. Hmm. that regulatory system is malfunctioning. So we're depending on kind of backup basal levels of all the hormones. Now, again, for the blood test to be abnormal, you have to be in the lowest 2% of the population. That's what abnormal means. The blood test normal range says nothing about, is this okay? Hmm. A normal range for shoe sizes would be size 5 to 13. A normal range for income would start at 8,100 a year. So if you made $8,100 a year, you would be normal. If we have, as if uh, you put either of us in a size six shoe, the doctor would say it's normal, no problem. I, my shoe, I wear a size 12. I, the six would not fit very well. Um, and so when the doctor checks the blood test for the hormones, unless you have organ failure, gland failure, we're in the lowest 2% of the population. Mm. I wouldn't see anything. So. The woman normally will have a drop in their uh, hormones around the menses. Uh, and normally it would not be so severe as to cause these whole CFS fibro symptoms. But 
if the symptoms are worse around your menses. I'm not talking about PMS, which is low progesterone, but tired, achy, brain fog, pain, you know, headache, all can't sleep, all that kind of fibro stuff. It means your body wants bioidentical hormone support, estrogen, progesterone, and even in women's testosterone uh, around your menses to put a safety net under so you don't go crashing every month. Yeah, look, even if the tests look totally normal. Uh, I yeah, normal. <laughs> yeah, like you say, what does normal mean? But um, apparently, are we going to put a fifteen-year-old uh, girl in the same bag as a fifty-three-year-old uh, lady? Uh, no. Or an eighty-five-year-old man? You know, yes, yeah, they that's do. Right. Um, you know, in terms of actually uh, helping with that, I mean, uh, do you think that blood tests are better or should we be really doing a saliva test to, to test these hormones? I think I prefer the blood tests. Mm -hmm. uh, saliva tests can be very helpful. There are pros and cons to both. Right. And there are incredible weaknesses to both. If I had my choice between having either of these tests or simply being able to talk to the person and listen to them, mm. if I had to pick one, I'm going to listen to the person. Because, again, if I somebody tells me, I have a size 7 shoe, that's nice. And again, the shoe size analogy, Dr. Oz is a friend of mine, very good man. He got slammed by the media because he pissed off some very, very profitable companies and who basically advertised heavily in the media and they went after him. He and his wife are both good people, but he likes, you know, I gave him the shoe size, the shoe size analogy for his show and it, he likes to run with that. It's, it's a good way to think of it. Mm. So if you tell the doctor, I have a size eight shoe, well, that's fine, but you don't add in, I can't even get my toe in the thing, mm. or it keeps falling off and I'm walking, mm. which is going to give you more information. That's size eight, or that it feels too big or too small. So for thyroid, um, I don't care if the test is normal. And the TSH is, when I was lecturing at the World Andro Conference in Fibromyalgia, uh, the one of the people on the podium with me was the Dr. Gunther, Professor Gunther Neek, who was a main researcher on thyroid function and fibromyalgia. And I asked him point blank, Gunther, uh, is TSH a reliable test in fibromyalgia? He said, absolutely not. It's, I don't want to say useless, but if interpreted the way it currently is, it's worse than useless. Mm -hmm. So, how do you tell? Are you tired, achy, weight gain, cold intolerance, a tendency to constipation, a tendency to infertility? If you have any two of those in fibromyalgia, unless your T4, the actual thyroid level, is high, I'm going to be giving you a trial of the bioidentical thyroid hormone to see if it helps. Mm -hmm. That's how it's done. And you don't adjust it so the blood test is normal. You know, well, your shoes too. You don't have any shoes. You know, you're 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 six foot eight and three hundred twenty pounds. Here's a size six shoe. It's in the normal range. Damn it, you're fine. <laughs> you know, give that doctor a size five friggin' shoe to walk in for a month, then go back and talk to them. Yeah, for sure. Doc, it's in the normal range. That size five shoe. Wear it. Yeah. That's what they're telling people to do. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So you adjust the thyroid dose to the dose that feels less, that feels optimal. You're feeling like you had too much caffeine. It's too high. You know, if you're feeling tired, achy, waking, cold, and tolerant, too low. Mm. Adjust to what feels best. Certainly, it's uh, not rocket science. Yeah, certainly, I've seen so many uh, people in my program who've benefited because the program talks about you know going back to your doctor as well and and engaging with your doctor uh, or fi finding a functional medicine doctor. And mm -hmm. 
and many of them have gone on to to get support for for their thyroid and as they recover they come off this support and there's really no issues you know and and they don't need to stay on it you know uh, however i guess um before i talk a little bit more about thyroid and i want to touch on hashimoto's for a moment but in terms of the amounts of estrogen progesterone i mean can you give any guidance around that and and also i wonder what are your thoughts about actually uh perhaps supplementing with other hormones that are sort of higher up in the chain in the of the production of of the sex hormones like DHEA or or other mm-hmm. sort of hormones if if you're building a building and the walls are not going up and you give extra bricks it's not going to do anything unless yeah. the bricks are low right so if the raw materials are low I will go ahead and supply more of the raw materials, and I will check the DHEA and pregnenolone levels. And if they're low, I will give. Right. But if you can't convert these into, you have no builders to turn the bricks into the walls. It makes no difference. Then it, right. So I have the benefit of being able to prescribe. If you can't prescribe, then you have to use what you have. You know? mm-hmm. They give the bricks and hope that there's somebody, the body can turn it into the hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll tailor it more. And... Uh, for the estrogen, um, I like to use a biased, which is a bioidentical. I will not use Premarin. I will sometimes consider birth control pills if they need the birth control also, mm. but and mostly if they've already been on it. But I'm going to tend to go with biased, about 2.5 milligrams. Um, I'm going to again go with the bioidentical progesterone for vaginal use, 30 milligrams, uh, 30 to 50 and I'll consider testosterone one half to three milligrams, uh, depending on the blood test. If, uh, but that needs to be compounded. Uh, if the woman's finances are such that the insurance does better with the standard pharmacy, I use the estrogen patches, mm-hmm. usually the 0.1. I use Prometrium, anywhere from 100 to 800 milligrams a day, mm-hmm. depending on the person. Uh, you can't really get the testosterone from regular pharmacy for women. Okay. Um, I mean, there are obviously other complications that people have alongside with CFS and fibro, and sometimes they perhaps form part of the reason why they get into the illness. Um, and uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome is, is one of those, and I think they can have these kind of issues particularly badly. So here's what you want to look at. If you have a tendency to weight gain, and especially if you get excess acne or darkening of facial hair, uh, this is one of the things we screen for in all of our new people we treat. We treat people from all over the world. Uh, if the testosterone level is high, if the DHEA is running on the high side, and if their fasting insulin is over 10, I'm going to presume they have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the metformin can be very helpful for that, as can uh, Sucantrel-D can help, I suspect, uh, to regulate blood sugar, uh, cutting down sugar intake, because that's massive because the sugar cravings and the carb cravings are insane with PCOS. Mm. Uh, we help them to manage that. Um, so, yes, PCOS is one of literally over 150 things we're looking for. Mm. Mm. Um, going back to the thyroid side of things, um, Hashimoto's. Let me ask you the question straight up. Can people recover from Hashimoto's? Of course, I can recover from Hashimoto's. Right. Um, now, the question is, will they need thyroid long-term? <clears throat> they may or they may not, but so what? To me, the body doesn't care if you're taking the thyroid from the outside or the inside. Hmm. So what? 
you know, either way is fine. Uh, but yes, many people who have Hashimoto's will no longer need thyroid after you treat the whole process. Right, right, okay. Yeah, I think there'd be a number of people who'd be particularly interested in hearing that. Um, because in my experience, many people, when they have CFS and fibromyalgia over a period of time, end up developing Hashimoto's, as well as obviously other autoimmune diseases. It, it is one of countless things. But understand that most of the symptoms come from either the thyroid hormone being low and will clear up with that, mm. or are coming from the associated fibromyalgia. There's a very small percent who are actually getting symptoms from the inflammation around the thyroid, mm. causing widespread things. But that's uncommon. You don't have to go after that. And you can go with a gluten-free diet. And there's, you know, Isabel Wentz has a wonderful book on addressing the Hashimoto's if you feel that that's really driving it. But generally, if I give the thyroid and treat the rest of the fibromyalgia, the Hashis become no issue. Mm. But what they need to know is if you have Hashimoto's, half of your blood-related first-degree relatives will get it. Mm. So half the parents, half the brothers and sisters, half the siblings, they need to be warned to look for it especially right. if they're pregnant. Okay. Well, it seems to me that you mentioned pregnancy. Um, a lot of uh, ladies uh, have a big impact from pregnancy. In fact, many develop CFS and fibromyalgia afterwards. And we can, mm-hmm. But some people seem to um, actually recover partially from doing pregnancy as well. And sometimes it comes back, and so sometimes it doesn't. What, are we talking about the same thing as the estrogen progesterone cycle here that triggers us? Or what do you think is going on? It's more than that. First of all, progesterone levels go way up. And that's why I am not averse to using progesterone, pregnancy levels of progesterone, as much as 800 milligrams. Again, not the synthetic. To me, the synthetics are poison. But the, the prometrium you can get at any pharmacy or the bioidentical from the compounding pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll use in the oral form 400 to 800 milligrams a day. And that, if they give me that history of postpartum, you know, they felt great in pregnancy and they crashed after. Um, I will consider some of the estriol, or, uh, which is the, um, the pregnancy estrogen. Uh, and I'll do more of that than the estradiol. Um, and I'll go ahead and put that back up. But it's not only those things that are going on. The uterus makes CRH, which is a adrenal stimulating hormone, um, and also making the HCG, which helps the pain. So the, your blood volume will go up 30% during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, all of these things are different factors that are causing people to feel great during pregnancy. Now, thyroid will go down because it dilutes, so it's important to raise the thyroid hormone. But generally, most people, women feel great during pregnancy, crash after. Uh, again, going with the progesterone, the bioidentical estriol, um, <clears throat> and increasing salt and water volume, looking for orthostatic intolerance, basically depleted uh, blood volume and just increasing, because you can increase the blood volume in these women. But all of these give clues of the directions because mm. there are there are literally over 500 treatments mm. that I use. The trick is how do you tailor them for each individual? So there are some things where shine focuses that is common for most everybody. Got to get them sleeping. Mm. You know, if they have the symptoms of low thyroid, if they're worse around the menses, you got to address that adrenal. If you and ad, adrenal is a very high tech area. You know, to diagnose adrenal, you need 
well, you need all this equipment. And what you need is to ask people, do you get irritable when hungry? And if they're not sure, ask their spouse or their, their friends. And if their spouse is going, you know, my life is at risk once he gets hungry, that's low <laughs> adrenal. You can do all the other tests you want. Hmm. That one question will tell you, do you get frequent sore throats? Do you get recurrent respiratory infections that take forever to go away? Hmm. Blood pressure running 90 over 60 is low. These are all low adrenal. And I can do a saliva, and I can do a morning urine cord or morning uh, serum cortisol. But all of those tell this much. And that simple question: Do do you get irritable when hungry? Tells us. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, it really makes sense. I mean, obviously, one of the things with the ANS dysfunction, this illness, is that it's quite variable. It's it's not so steady. It's not like Addison's disease where you go, "Hey, look, it's really low." I mean, it's low one day, next day it's high, next day at ten o'clock it's to the roof. Right, it's all over the shot. So testing, you know, tells us some things, but it, it's not really a reliable measure. Um, it, it it gives twenty percent of the information. Listening to the person gives eighty. Absolutely, um, and obviously you mentioned orthostatic intolerance, which is obviously very common, and in its most extreme form, we we're starting to talk about POTS. Um, one of the things, uh, you know, that we look at addressing, obviously, blood volume, uh, salt, which has been so um you know made to be like the evil of the world um but um you know i i'm wondering you know how much is it really is the issue really with hypertension really about salt and how much is it really like other minerals like potassium and magnesium okay so basically it's a myth the salt whole salt thing is is a myth just like mm. eggs are you know that eggs raise cholesterol no they don't mm. i can give you a dozen studies where they have six eggs, eggs a day for six weeks. The effect on cholesterol was nothing. Hmm. Uh, salt. Salt raises blood pressure an average of one to two millimeter. And that's if you go from a totally you know, salt restricted, almost nothing not sustainable to the, just having all the salt you want. Two millimeter difference. In blacks it's a three millimeter difference. It's hmm. nothing. No, now, nowhere near as much as getting a blood pressure cuff on your arm, right? It's yeah, you know, twenty points, twenty millimeters. Uh, on the other hand, potassium deficiency is a major player, um, and magnesium deficiency is a minor but significant player. So, salt restriction, unless a person has heart failure, I don't recommend it. And if you salt restrict with this illness, where you're already total body salt and water depleted, I mean, you're saying, what do you mean? I'm doing five times as much as my husband is drinking. Yeah, but you're peeing six times as much. You will drink like a fish and pee like a racehorse. And at the end of the day, you're like a bucket full of holes and you may not, you keep filling it and the bucket's still empty. And there's ways to fill those holes. So for orthostatic intolerance, do I recommend tilt table testing? No, it makes people sick as a dog. It's it's very expensive and it's a, to me it's a waste. Um, what do I recommend? There are two simple tests you can do at home. They're free. Free is nice. Um, in fact, there's an information sheet on orthostatic intolerance that you can email me for, and I will. It's free. It will have a Mayo Clinic screening test. It will talk about a 10-minute pulse test. Um, for those of you who don't have a simple pulse oximeter in COVID days, this is a wonderful $25 tool. Um, it will check your blood oxygenation and your pulse. And if you're doing a 10-minute pulse test where you sit 
you lie down for 10 minutes, you check your pulse, and you can see, okay, so the pulse is 62 a minute, oxygen sat is 97, um, and then if I, you, when you stand up, you can check your pulse every minute, just looking at the thing. Um, and if it goes up more than 15 beats per minute, uh, I get suspicious in this disease uh, any time in the 10 minutes. Um, and 25, it's pretty confirmatory. Um, I would get, because you're going to make yourself crazy looking on Amazon, uh, this one tended to be a good one. C-A-C, capital V, R-A-T-E, mm. 30 bucks. Uh, I, I got another one that was just totally random garbage reading. So this one seems to work well. Um, and also for those of you who get short of breath and you worry, oh my God, I have COVID, you put it on your finger and you're 96%. No, <laughs> it's not coming from that. It's the mm. You have plenty of oxygen. If it's 89, you know, you start worrying. Um, so bottom line is, if you want to email me, my email address is fatigue, F-A-T-I-G-U-E, and then D-O-C, fatigue doctor, fatigue doctor at gmail.com you can ask for the free orthostatic intolerance information sheet or low blood pressure sheet or whatever you want a pot sheet animate sheet color whatever you want mm -hmm. um, you can also for those of you who financially our, our goal is to make effective treatment available for everybody and some people are, are dead broke with this disease I know I, when I, I was homeless I'd go days without eating somebody fed me and I'd have some pizza when they sat on my park bench I'd eat um so there's an information sheet on how to get well if you have little or no money. Because again, the cost of a treatment has nothing at all to do with its effectiveness. It has to do with how much you'll hear about it, not with its effectiveness. So you can ask for the how to get well with no money sheet. And again, this is all free and you can do that. So it will teach you the two tests for orthostatic tolerance, the two free tests, and then they'll say, here's how you make it go away. It'll go through boom, 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 increase the salt, uh, DDAVP, Florinef, Metagen, and there's a list of mere dozen things, uh, compression stockings, the whole thing, um, and they'll say, here's how to get well mm. from it. Fantastic. And then, and then you check your pulse, the 10-minute pulse test here and there to see how it's doing. Get the feedback free. I want to talk a little bit about infections, and um, you know, I guess pathogens are part of the human body, right? Uh, we have bacteria uh, on our skin and in our digestive tract. Um, there are many viruses that people have that lay lay, lay dormant, and and even when we look at some parasites, uh, there are certain groups of parasites, particularly gut parasites where people get very ill, there's big forms on the internet, and yet they go to the doctor and the doctor will shrug, go, oh, yeah, these are normal, because, well, you know, and, and lots of people no, have them. There's no test for it, so it doesn't exist. It's kind of like, <laughs> you're invisible now, I can't see you because there's no test for it. It's like, yes. a break, you know? But, but obviously, the, the way these things impact people who are um, uh, not fully healthy, we see if it's a fibromyalgia, it's very different to a healthy person. Um, right. And and uh, I, I guess this is something I've always said, and I really, I guess COVID's really shown that now, because uh, in the past we've never tested people for flus when they were fully well. Um, but now we're testing everyone and we're saying, hey, look, there's a whole bunch of people who have COVID and have literally zero symptoms. So one of the things is obviously to support people by reducing the pressure on their body and hence the autonomic nervous system. Um, by treating uh, infections uh, or reducing the burden, assisting the body. Uh, I wonder what your take is on this, and, and I wonder also how you balance this 
against making it a bit of a um, because I, I guess some people seem to have this experience where it become, takes over their life. That they're, they're looking for things that they can't find. They're like stealth infections. Um, they get diagnosed, uh, you, know, you know, with Lyme without actually any real tests that support that because they have all these symptoms. And I kind of wonder. I mean, sometimes it seems like they're going down rabbit holes. Well, here's the thing. You know, you have this illness that's devastating your life. That the doctors, you go with your family member, your spouse, and here you can barely get out of bed. And the doctor implies, I don't know what's wrong with her. So she's crazy, you know. And you desperately, you almost, even if you had cancer, you'd be, you know, whew, what a relief. I got cancer. I'm not crazy. And you, know, you get so desperate, to un- mm-hmm. understandably, to have some explanation. So I could go ahead and say, do you have exhaustion, widespread pain, brain fog? insomnia, numbness and tingling in your fingers, and sinus, I can go through a list, and I, I'll have like 6, 12 million people in the country going, that's me. And then I can say, it's caused by, and I can say space aliens beaming, you know, spam into your brain, whatever. Mm. And people are really, you know, because they're so desperate mm. for things. So, uh, how do you tell? This is not a single thing that causes this. This is a very real devastating illness. It is very real. It is very physical. Any doctor who implies that you're crazy is an asshole. Mm-hmm. And I, what I recommend you do is if you have a doctor that's implying to you or your spouse that you're crazy, that you go up and you walk over to him and say, thank you so much, doctor. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me know so quickly what a complete and utter fool and idiot you are so I don't waste my time with you. Give me a kiss on top of the head. Turn out the door. Slam it on the way out. Tell people in the waiting room this guy is an idiot and walk out the door. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I tell people to make that find a new doctor. Is my advice. Find someone else. Don't do don't it. go to a doctor expecting this is not their expertise. If somebody came to me with a scalpel and a book from Bypass to Fantastic, and say I want you to do heart bypass surgery on me, I go like, I don't do that. And this is a complex illness. Going to a regular doctor has five minutes on a schedule, you know, that he has to see or even 15 and saying, you know, I want heart bypass surgery or I want you to effectively assess and treat my CFS and fibromyalgia. Not going to happen. It's not their fault. But what they should be saying is, I'm sorry, I don't know what's wrong with you. It's not my expertise. Let me help you find somebody who does. Bottom line is find a holistic doctor who this is what they do. And then you're more likely to get help. Or even there's some clinics like Stanford and places like that. Good people, they have a good sense of things, even within the traditional medicine community. Mm-hmm. But don't, it's not your doctor's fault that they don't, it's just like, I don't know how to do heart bypass surgery. They don't know how to do CFS or fibro. But for them to say, I don't know what's wrong, so you're crazy? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's when you'd give them the boot. I mean, I, I guess I've raised the question because um, obviously, you know, you mentioned earlier how we have to look at our symptoms and listen to the patient sometimes more so than a test. But when it looks at these pathogens and infections, I kind of feel like, you know, we really should have some evidence before we go down the treatment route and get too carried away. I speak to people mm-hmm. who talk about, you know, who get like exposed to mold, for instance, and they get ill after mold exposure, and then they feel they're, they're sensitive to mold and get triggered for mold for the next 20 years. I'm like, well, you have CFS and fibromyalgia, that's why you're getting triggered, but have you had any exposure to mold? And they go, well, I haven't seen any. Can, can I offer you a middle <laughs> path here, Dan? You know, because, you know, on the standard medical thing, you have tests for Lyme disease that's fully half of people with full-blown Lyme, the test is negative. The British Medical Journal called it no better than flipping a coin to do the standard. 
uh, lab testing for, for Lyme disease. Mm. And you have other testing in the holistic community where everybody's got it. That's so right. One negative test in the last 25 years. Mm. Everybody's got it. So you ask them all, what is the test that everybody has? Well, everybody has Lyme disease. No, mm. no they don't. Mm. So neither side. And I've, I find since the tests are not reliable, I don't use them. Yes. What do I do? Okay, so number one, uh, they're a host of inf infections. These are not usually horrible. You'd think these organisms would be like pit bull dogs that are like, you know, no, these are common things like mono or CBV, uh, EBV, or, you know, mono, the, the CMV, HHV6, enteroviruses, uh, candida. These are things that everybody has. And they're not big dogs. The Lyme disease can be, but again, the problem with Lyme is we're just not treating the whole process and we're just focusing on the Lyme. You treat the whole thing, the Lyme disease, and along with the antibiotics, the Lyme goes away. So um, I'd like to give the image of, it's not if you had like six little yapper dogs, you know, kind of grabbing at your leg. Any one little yapper dog, your immune system's just shake them off. Because you got six of them, it's having trouble and they're, they're dragging you down. So it doesn't, you don't have to get rid of them all. You get rid of any three or four of them and your immune system will get rid of the rest. So what's the order I do? If you look at shines, sleep, hormones, infections, nutrition, exercise is able. Not the kind of exercise most doctors say where you crash and burn. But for the infections, number one, candida. If you have post-nasal drip, nasal congestion, sinusitis, um, or you have gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, irritable bowel syndromes, I will treat with six weeks of Diflucan and other natural antifungals, there's a host of them that can be very helpful while cutting sugar out of the diet, which is easier when you treat the whole thing and you won't go through the withdrawal from the sugar. Um, and I will use a compounded nose spray that kills um, the candida and also any um, multiple antibiotic resistant staph aureus. Hmm. Uh, it will kill those. So you use the whole thing and you kill all that stuff out there and you knock out that infection. That's the biggest one. Ma yeast are massive sized organisms if a virus is the size of a period at the end of a sentence mm. the relative size of the yeast of an, one yeast organism would be more than the city block mm. they're mm. big mm. so I go after that first number two did they have post viral onset I had a viral syndrome never went away I feel kind of flu like all the time I can do blood testing but the blood testing is not it will give me a clue but again, that's symptoms. I will go with the Fanvir Celebrex combination, mm -hmm. and I will tell the person it will take four months to see the effect. Then I'll give it for six months, mm -hmm. and then I'll continue it after that if needed. Um, if they're having predominantly gut symptoms, and it doesn't go away with treating the candida, and the parasite test is negative, um, I will consider parasite treatments anyway. I will treat all parasites, even ones that are non-pathogenic. Uh, any parasite in this disease needs to be treated. And then I'll consider going after enterovirus um, with some an herbal mix called equilibrant. That's wonderful research by Dr. Chia. Mm. Wonderful, straight, you know, a standard infectious disease doctor. You know, mm. not holistic by anything. Um, but his son was bedridden with CFS, just like Ron Davis' son. Mm. And he went to work figuring it out. He found that enterovirus is very common. And it's funny, when I first spoke with him, he speaks the King's English. I didn't realize later when I spoke to him, he was in Taiwan visiting his mother. He's Taiwanese. And there's an herb that's a Taiwanese herb that stimulates the immune system in just the right way 
for enterovirus. Mm-hmm. So he was aware of that growing up, that it's part of the culture, and as an infectious disease doctor. So he's he's now put that together. It's mm-hmm. called Equilibrant. You can find that online. Uh, my book talks about all of these two, From Fatigue to Fantastic. Shameless plug. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, get the blue cover edition. That's a new one, but it'll be out June 15th. Um, but so I'm going to go after these things. In terms of antibiotics, if somebody comes and they say, I'm allergic to three different antibiotics and nothing else that are unrelated chemically, they're not allergic. They're having a Herxheimer reaction. They're killing off something that's causing their illness. Mm. That tells me they have it. You need to go after it. Go really slowly. Uh, if they have scalp scabs, I'm going to go with Zithermax. That's a marker not to treat the scabs. The scabs will go away too. But the CFS or fibro will often improve. Mm-hmm. If they tell me, you know, I had this dental infection that gave me this antibiotic, or I had anything and it gave me an antibiotic for a week, and my CFS went away for the week or two, duh, give them the antibiotic. Mm-hmm. You know, the testing is not going to add much. Mm-hmm. Okay. To, do you have symptoms suggestive in the infection? Okay, if you do... Then let's treat it, not for 10 years, but, you know, for viral, it's four months, but uh, bacterial, I give it six to eight weeks. Uh, Candida, six weeks. And if your symptoms get much better, well, son of a gun, you had the infection. Not rocket science, Dan. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, and this is where experience is so important. I mean, theory is interesting and testing is interesting, but at the end of the day, it's, it's experience. And, and yeah, there is this real concern about um, tests. You know, I've, I've seen so many people who had uh, Lyme apparently, and then they recovered. They were fully healthy. And we did another Lyme test. Well, not I, but they did another Lyme test. And guess what? They're still positive. So my question is, well, maybe they were positive and it shows you that maybe you can have Lyme without any illness if you're robust and healthy, or maybe the test was wrong. But in any case, you know, I think yeah, they maybe they have Lyme up. disease despite having a positive test. Yeah. What I would love to do is take 10 healthy people who feel great yeah. and have them run a lot of the tests, the mold toxin tests, which isn't positive on everybody, but I want to see what percent of healthy people are positive. Mm. Because it would be nice to know 70% of healthy people are positive mm. as well. And then that's a big grain of salt to take. The I'd love to do the Lyme test, the holistic test, on 10 healthy people, see what percent are positive. Well, if 90% or 100% of them are positive, mm. that says that test isn't very helpful. Um, again, we almost feel like we need something black and white on the lab sheet to justify using common sense and treating. Mm. Instead of just saying, you know, we don't know, let's see. Let, let, let's see what the response is in you. Um, does, this, does the clinical history suggest that? Do you get better with treatment? Mm. Then I'm okay realizing we don't have the testing. We just have to use you know, clinical information and go based on that. You know, you mentioned, you've spoken about um, the circuit breaker issue. And uh, ANS Rewire, and the program is based on the same premise. Um, I basically have said for many years that the root cause of this illness is a dysfunctional autonomic nervous system and it cascades. I'm not sure if you're 100% on the same page or not um, because I know you focus on fatigue and I'm wondering, do you think the fatigue is more central causing the ANS dysfunction or do you think it goes the other way? Well, maybe it doesn't matter. Well, I think it goes both ways. I think that the energy crisis triggers that circuit breaker, the hypothalamic circuit breaker to go down, causing fatigue. And then that circuit breaker going down actually protects you by taking you out of the game. Mm, that's well, right. I can't stop working 90 hours a week. <laughs> you have no choice. Yes. Circuit picker's off. So 
that circuit breaker goes down, it goes ahead and that it controls autonomic function, the ANS function. Um, so that stops working. And when that stops working and your hormones stop working and your sleep stops working, then energy goes down and you've got a self-sustaining low energy cycle. Mm. So chicken or egg, I don't care. Mm. Yeah, I, I mentioned <laughs> the chicken and the egg, so yeah, in the book. Um, so, you know, um, uh, I guess on, on that note, we the, the, the ANSPY program focuses on neuroplasticity. Um, so we have a range of uh, approaches, brain training mechanisms. Uh, we talk about meditation. We talk about uh, a whole range of things. But we go a little bit broader than brain training mechanisms out there generally because they often talk about solely doing brain training. And then this other part of the world talks about solely doing treatments for symptoms and dysfunctions. And I guess I sort of sit in the middle where I'm saying, actually, these are not separate things because the brain is central, it's the nervous system. And so whilst we teach the brain training in the program and how to reset your nervous system, we say that an integral part of that is nutrition, uh, treating these infections, basically working with a functional medicine doctor as well, because your brain doesn't differentiate between a neuroassociation to your symptoms in your body uh, than it does to your blood sugar, right? And blood sugar goes down a little bit. It may not be hyperglycemic, although I use that word erroneously to help people understand, but it just goes down enough and the body goes <clears throat> like that. So we've got to address the physical body. So I think we need to do both, right? Um, but I guess I'm wondering, you know, is there, how much evidence do we have now that ANS dysfunction is central in this illness, uh, for CFS and fibromyalgia and, and how, when are we going to get to a consensus in the medical community? <laughs> I think we have a fair bit of research showing the autonomic dysfunction in the CFS and fibro population. I don't think that's even a question. We're also starting to see data showing that the autonomic dysfunction is associated. Remember I mentioned the antibodies being low, the IgG1 and 3 subsets? Yes. That those tend to go with the autonomic dysfunction. They're also seeing small fiber neuropathy, which also causes the autonomic dysfunction on one level. Mm -hmm. So what they're looking, it's like the five blind men in the elephant. We're looking at, oh, well, there's this immune dysfunction. No, there's small fiber neuropathy. No, we're seeing the blood pressure ANS. These are all the same thing. They're all different ways of looking at the same animal. Mm -hmm. um, and we're finding that these things are all tied together. So to me, you know, should we start by going after the tail or the trunk of the elephant or the I look at realize it's an elephant. Realize these are all of a thing. So an analogy I give people, uh, it's as if you had no lights working in your home. You know, you had a cold winter's night uh, 10 years ago, and suddenly all the electricity stopped working in the living room. And you called eight electricians. They checked the light switches and light bulbs. They say, everything's fine. There's nothing wrong. You're crazy. And you say, there's no electricity here. The light switches are all fine. You're crazy. Finally, you call a ninth electrician, an old guy, and he says, oh, look in the closet here behind the coach. See this little circuit panel here? And they open, you see, see circuit number 37, where it says on the thing, controls living room lights, receptacles and things. And, and he goes ahead, and that's the autonomic nervous system. He turns it back, flips it back out. Mm. And suddenly, all the lights are working, and then off they go again. Mm. Mm. Now... Uh, then he goes, oh, look at these five space heaters that are plugged in. They're overloaded the circuit. Mm -hmm. And then you turn it on and it stays on. 
And as the electrician walks out the door, they say, is this ever going to happen again? He says, you plug all five space heaters into ones? Yes, it will, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in what you're saying, say what tripped a circuit breaker, say the person was raped as a child or attacked and, you know, had a, a long history of abuse and they hypervigilant and you're teaching them to reset using the neuroplasticity and they're person who raped them is long dead and gone and you peed on the grave and had you know did what you did for the clearing of the energy mm. um and you turn the circuit breaker back on then it stays on mm. but say you have continuing infections and other That's things right. that keep flipping the circuit breaker and you, and you do the the rewire of any of the different forms you do to reset the ner- the hypothalamic and the ans it's going to trip again mm. so you know you you need to look at the whole thing mm. and then Treat the underlying things, you know, unplug all those things that are draining the energy, turn the circuit breaker back on. If it stays, great. If not, you keep looking for other energy drains. It feels uh, it feels a little bit lonely sometimes, uh, Jacob, you know, uh, because I feel like I'm stuck in the middle between these two worlds. On the one hand, there's these people who just talk about the neuroplasticity, and the other one, the medicine. I'm going, don't you realize we're all doing the same thing, right? <laughs> We've got to work together, you know? Look, look, no, 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 we don't. Dan, look. You know, if if you go and you know pick any religion, yeah. You know, say you're you're Christian, you go into an Islamic you know church and you tell the mullahs you've got to believe in this, or the mullahs come in and they say, no, oh, the prophet, you got to believe in this. No, they don't. No, they're not going to. <laughs> Medicine is a religion, yeah, uh, full of well-meaning people who don't know that almost all the education they're getting is thick advertising masquerading as science. Mm. And that's mm. that's basically a paraphrase from past editor in the New England Journal of Medicine. Another past editor said, I don't believe much of what I read in journals anymore. Yeah. Most of medical information is slick pharmaceutical advertising masquerading as science. And part of that advertising is convincing doctors that anything that's competition, generic medications or natural remedies, are quackery. Mm. And setting up the regulatory system so that they cannot be approved. Uh, because the competition, all well-meaning people. I mean, all the people I've met at the pharmaceutical industries, they're sweethearts. Mm. They're good people. They're all good people. The system is broken. Mm. So that's okay. It's okay if they don't get it. We don't have to go convince everybody. My goal is simply to get the information to you, the listener, mm. of what you need to know. And then I invite you, those things that feel good to you, make them yours. And the things that feel bad to you, discard them. Uh you mentioned um, PTSD. Uh, it's it's my view that PTSD, which obviously uh, symptomology is different, it presents differently uh, than CFS, but and fibro. But uh, I don't think it's just a precursor. I actually think it's the same illness. It's on the same spectrum, in, in my point of view. P- P- PTSD is one part of the energy drain. Yeah, and it reflects in its own ways, but it is common and needs to be addressed. In the new edition of From Fatigue to Fantastic, we talk about autonomic. Uh, resetting and hypothalamic resetting. We talk about the chapter just on treating PTSD. Mm. There are many tools. It sounds like the, the ANS rewire is an excellent one just mm. from you because you're so knowledgeable. So if you're recommending it, um, but there's the trembling technique by Peter Levine, mm-hmm. who also does somatic experiencing. Uh, there's the you know, there uh, for PTSD, it may take more than these techniques. You sometimes there's a use of ketamine, uh, there's a use of other things uh, that have been researched now for PTSD. Yeah. Um, and um, the ketamine nose spray, it's funny, you know, they 
the drug companies got hold of it and they got approved for depression, uh, even though there's research. Got, uh, there's a wonderful psychiatrist who's actually doing the government-approved research using these different things, uh, MDMA, the ketamine for PTSD, and getting very remarkable results. Um, but the problem is they set the cost for the nose spray at $800 a dose. Oh, goodness, isn't that okay. insane? Um, you can get it for $5 a dose from a compounding pharmacy. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a handy, handy little so, tip anyway. there. <laughs> um, yeah, so again, the book goes through all of these different things and, and mm. the details. And, you know, because again, there's so many things. It's not so much, is there anything that can get me well? It's there's hundreds of things. How do you figure out in your case in an organized manner? That was the reason I wrote the book. Is to, and this has been the best selling book. This is the fourth, I'm actually the fifth edition in real life now. Mm. Um, and if you think, oh, he's just selling books, I will take the 80 cents a book I make and donate it to charity. <laughs> Over half my income goes to charity. Your, your book is a, is, is a wealth of uh, uh, in, information, and um, we will uh, put links in it uh, in, the, in the show notes, so, so check that out. Um, look, uh, we're sort of going towards the end of our uh, talk today. And I wonder, um, Jacob, uh, when, as I reflect over the last 10 years of, of working, uh, with this illness, it's interesting. Uh, all of this started for me from a pretty sort of theoretical standpoint, uh, trying to work out what is going on with this illness. And it led to my recovery and then to helping others. But along with that, you come to certain conclusions based on logic and science. And then it's interesting how experience can sometimes have a different uh, outcome. Uh, than, than theory. And so I wonder as you reflect over your last 40 years and perhaps the last 20 years in particular, were there certain things that you used to think or, or beliefs that you've had about this illness and recovery uh, that have changed? Well, it's more getting bigger and bigger pictures of that. You know, it's like mm. the five blind men and the elephant story. It was like, well, it's a tree trunk. No, it's a snake. It's, you know, um, and it used to be, oh, it's candida. Uh, no, it's adrenal. And I would keep launching into these different areas mm. that each would help somewhat. Um, it's a synthesis of all of those to get to see the bigger picture. Mm. Uh, that's really what's been changing. But the nice thing again, um, Dan, what I'd like to do, because there's three studies that we've recently completed. Mm. Uh, that were, uh, in fact, one of them, I just did the analysis of the initial data right before I got on with you. So you'll be the first person to hear the data <laughs> results if you like. Um, that can be very helpful uh, in optimizing energy and optimizing how people feel overall. So we talked about the porcine serum extract. And the name of that is called Recovery Factors. It's available from Europe. Uh, the website is www.recoveryfactors.com. Mm -hmm. 60% of people who took that improved with an average in that group, 69% increase in both overall quality of life and energy. Uh, we just finished a study um, of 188 people of, um, I happen to have a bottle here because I take it myself if I have a busy day. Um, it's called HRG80 Red Ginseng. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get the one for sexual function. The rest is 18 different ones or four different ones. I would just get the chewables. Mm -hmm. The, the chewable capsules, they're tasty, don't have sugar. Um, if I have a busy day where I feel like it's swamped, I'll take them and I feel my energy goes right up. Uh, we just looking at the data of what we found is, uh, again, about 60% of people improved. 
And what we saw, I don't even remember the data because I just did it, energy went up an average of 47%. Uh, cognition improved 32.6%. Overall stamina increased 45.5%. That's with one simple low-cost pill a day. Mm. Mm. with the HRG-80 red ginseng. So there's all these different things. The Stanford Clinic just came out with a Bilify uh, study, which is an antipsychotic medicine, but they found that instead of the 15 to 30 milligrams that they use for psychosis, um, they just use one-eighth to two milligrams, mm -hmm. tiny dose. They're seeing a dramatic improvement. We now have about 50 people we started on up, and we're looking to get more feedback. Uh, I do treat people worldwide, and it can be done by phone mm. for those who need. Um, but the, you know, if you use a GoodRx app, if your insurance doesn't pay for it, usually it will, uh, but the GoodRx app drops the price of most medications about 95%. If you're paying out a packet, you need to know about that app. Um, but the Abilify, very simple, low cost, uh, literally a few drops a day mm. on your tongue. This doesn't have to be massive things, simple things can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. But again, start with sleep, uh, do the nutritional support. Uh, I'll start with the vitamin powder so you do one drink instead of 50 pills. There's just, let it be organized. Uh, we have tools that'll help organize that for people. There's actually a free online program they can do that'll analyze their symptoms and tests. And, and help you focus your treatments are in that case. Yeah, that's a great thing because when people feel a bit lost, just overwhelmed, and, and, and there's so much to treat because so much is wrong. Um, but ultimately, I always say the best treatment is, is recover from the syndrome as a whole. <laughs> you know, but it's not that simple, is it? Um, a couple of last questions is, you know, one of the things that people f uh, are concerned about is this whole thing, well, can I recover? Because people often think they can't because they think they're different. And I think many of us have been there. And, and certainly there are factors that seem to complicate recovery, whether it be a particularly stubborn infection, uh, often maybe a gut infection, or or if someone has PTSD, it, it means there's a little bit more of an involved process, but certainly we can make progress with our recovery, uh, you know, with, with, with the help, and then we need to keep working on it. Have you found that there were any particular uh, stubborn um, uh, complications? Uh, and, and also, what about when people are really severe and, and, and they're bedridden? Um, it seems sometimes people really struggle to to sort of get momentum of their recovery. Yeah, for that population, again, treating the orthostatic intolerance and the viral infections is key. Mm. Those That 20% that's bedbound. Uh, but let me give you what the data shows. You know, in our, This is a randomized, double-blind, prospective, placebo-controlled study intent to treat analysis put together with the help of the researchers at the NIH. And what we found is that 91% of people improved with an average 90% increase in quality of life. So this is what the science shows, that 91% of people can improve. Mm -hmm. um, and that study was done a while ago. Those numbers are getting better and better and better. Uh, do I have anybody that I can't, right now I have one person I'm treating mm. who's bedridden that I haven't been able to do because she can't take anything by mouth. Mm. She can't take anything, periods. She's too weak to do the autonomic retraining. And so there's one person I'm treating that mm. whenever new things come out that can try to bypass that, I'm looking for things. Most everybody else, on my usual days, if I'm not treating a new person, 
uh, is doing follow-ups. And if they're normally scheduled follow-ups, it's because most people are doing great and I'm just doing the fine-tuning and how are they. You know, if it's called in between, if people, you'll find that sometimes you're feeling great and a few years later, symptoms come back and, and they go, oh my God, you know, and it's it's not a big deal. Three things. I'll have it on tape here. So if, if, if I die or something and you're wondering, oh my God, it's back, what do I do? Number one, are you taking the multivitamin? I recommend the energy revitalization system vitamin powder, one drink, covers it. Number two, did your sleep go down? If yes, adjust the sleep treatments to get your eight hours of sleep and uh, look for an underlying stress that caused it to go down. Number three, did the candida come back? How do you tell? No test that I spend the nickel for. Nasal congestion, post-nasal drip, gas bloating, diarrhea, constipation, sugar craving. The candida is back. Just treat it again. 95% of the time, it's going to be one of those three. You take care of that, and it's fine. Mm. It goes away again. My last question I have uh, that I jotted down was, um, and it's interesting because in a way we had a giggle about it before we started because I couldn't connect today. My computer was playing up, and I had to restart my computer three times, and then everything worked fine, right? My question was, have you found that people don't succeed, but then a second run-up, they have success? And I'm like, second run-up, third run-up? Keys to keep trying, right? Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, you treat the core shine, and most people are going to be feeling a whole lot better with that. But there are some people where you have to turn over the right stone and keep looking, 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 until, oh, it's disinfection. Oh, it's this thing, you know. Um, and until you look, you're not going to find it. So there are people that it's, takes almost a year into treatment where to find the right thing that's unusual mm. most people are already feeling good but better and then we're looking for things to get that last percent mm. you know? um, but yeah it's if at first you don't succeed again anything that can cause a drop in energy can cause this illness and that's a lot of things absolutely absolutely well look thank you so much for sharing your wisdom from the other side uh, of the resident fibromyalgia uh, I uh, I think we could probably keep talking all day and there's a myriad of questions and maybe topics to explore in, in, in a little bit more detail and uh, maybe if we get the chance we'll we'll talk again sounds good Dan a pleasure and again when you all get well one last tip if you use your getting well to go back to what made you sick in the first place your body will call you in and put you back where you are use your energy for things that feel good to you. It's another way of saying of being authentic to yourself. Learn to say no to things that feel bad to you. Even if you've been taught to be a bad girl or bad boy, if you did that, let those other people do that stuff. You do what feels good to you. You do what's authentic to you. You will you will find, that if you do that, that the illness will have been a gift because it'll give you not just your health back, but it'll give you your life back. Uh, uh, very wise words thank you uh, Jacob uh, as I often say to people uh, you go through all that suffering you've got to make sure you get a payoff and that is you've got to be a better version of it. yourself on the other side right I got it The I, to me the illness was a real blessing yes even though at the time it seemed like oh my god my life was crushed and over mm. it's much easier to see that when you're on the other side and feeling better we'll get there absolutely thank you very much thanks for tuning into this episode of the podcast we hope you felt supported by it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us via cfsunravel.com and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. And you can leave a comment and a four or five star review if you feel so inclined. 
if you want to make sure you get your free copy of Discover Hub and get notified about all new recovery resources and interviews, including recovery interviews, subscribe to us via the website. Check out some of our other podcasts. I hope you'll join us again soon.